0: The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at
1: albertapodcastnetwork.com.
2: I'm Dave Cornway. And I'm Ryan Hastman.
1: And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're also joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart, and we're recording this episode on June 25th, 2018. This episode, we're going to talk about the Trudeau government's extension of the equalization formula and what that means for Alberta. We'll discuss what our political leaders should be doing this summer, and we'll discuss how candidates should handle social media in our regular So You Want to Be a Candidate segment. But before all that, let's delve into some nomination news and political gossip.
2: Okay, well, since we've last recorded, uh, there was a shuffle in the Notley cabinet. Some are assuming that this will be, you know, the final cabinet shuffle or the one that she's done in anticipation of next year's election. So what did you take away from it, Dave?
1: Yeah, well, we saw um, uh, two cabinet ministers shuffled out. So Stephanie McLean, who is the minister of, I guess now the former minister of Service Alberta and the minister of Status of Women, and Brandy Payne. Minister, the Associate Minister of Health, and they were both M- MLAs from Calgary, and they're both not running for re-election, and that's why they were shuffled out from Cabinet. And in their place, we saw one uh, NDP MLA from Calgary, Brian Malkinson, uh, shuffled into Cabinet. Um, uh, I, I think it was pretty clear. I mean, it, it's not too surprising that, that uh, MLAs who are Cabinet ministers who aren't running for re-election get shuffled out of Cabinet. That happens frequently in different governments. Um, we see... Party leaders and premiers wanting to bring new people into cabinet shuffle people who are who aren't sticking around out of cabinet uh, I think the the surprise was it was I mean, it wasn't really huge news I mean, it's I, I think the surprise is that they only brought w- in one new cabinet minister to keep this in mind they didn't actually uh, reduce the size of government by By eliminating two cabinet or by eliminating one cat one one whole cabinet minister. They eliminated an associate cabinet minister um, So there wasn't an associate ministry of health and um, But, I mean, from what I've heard, Brian Malkinson has been a pretty, uh, you know, pretty uh, busy and and hardworking backbencher. Um, uh, He brought a private member's bill in last year uh, that was going to introduce the Hanson Trusts around um, uh, for finances for persons, people with disabilities. Uh, and his private member's bill didn't make it through, but it was reintroduced later on. It was actually, I think it was removed from the order paper, and then the government actually that took his private member's bill and reintroduced it as a government bill in this this last session. Um, So I think he he was seen as kind of an up-and-comer. I am a little surprised that the NDP didn't take the opportunity to actually uh, appoint more, you know, two or three new people into cabinet to actually kind of boost up the, ex- the experience levels that, that people would have. I think they do have some some able uh, backbenchers who would make good cabinet ministers. They don't have a huge depth of experience, but yeah. there are a few, I think, who've really you know over the past couple of years worked pretty hard in the backbenches and, and could have become cabinet ministers or associate cabinet ministers.
0: Do you think this is the correct, maybe that's the wrong word, but do you think this is the right cabinet for the NDP going into the next election? Like they could have made, like you said, they could have made more moves, but they didn't.
1: I don't know what moves they would have made. I mean, th- current cabinet ministers have their critics. So they're, you know, they're people who don't like Joe CC or don't like Mark McQuig Boyd, but I don't know who Rachel Notley would have replaced them with from the current crop of NDP MLAs. Like in terms of your high profile, you're kind of the core group in Rachel Notley's cabinet. I think, sh- I think, uh, Premier Notley is very comfortable with that core group, Joe CC Margaret McQuaid-Boyd, Sarah Hoffman, Shannon Phillips. That's her team. That's her core. And I'm, I'm sure I'm missing others. But but those seem to be the kind of the four or five kind of core cabinet ministers. And I don't really know at this point who the NDP would have chosen to replace them. So I, I'm, I'm not surprised that there weren't any huge changes. I think not, uh, Notley is actually quite happy with her cabinet. And, and they're, they're working pretty well as a team together. Uh, looking, I mean, if you're looking for the next, to the next election and looking at the polls... I'm not really sure a cabinet shuffle would have really made a difference. I think going a, going going into the the year ahead of an election, it probably would have caused more turmoil than it's worth yeah. internally. Uh, and, I mean, becoming a cabinet minister is, is a pretty steep learning curve. But that said, I'm, I am surprised that there wasn't a, you know, a new associate minister or even um, uh, promotions for the two parliamentary secretaries that Notley appointed last year, Jessica Littlewood and um, Amy, M- Amy McKittrick. I was thinking that one of those two or both of them might make it into cabinet. But if you're going to take two Cal- Calgary MLAs out of cabinet, it makes sense to put another Calgary MLA in.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you wouldn't really want rookie ministers in this last session because the temperature is going to be so high. The pressure is going to be pretty intense. The opportunity to stumble or to get in their own way is there. So, you know, I, I think, too, one of the most interesting non-changes was Brian Mason. So, obviously, he's running, and uh, he didn't change jobs or portfolios. So, to me, that that said a lot without saying anything that, you know, you've, you wonder sometimes if he's happy with his role or if he wants a bigger role or what. So, I mean, he would, between he, Darren, Billis, Miss Notley, and who was the fourth one? David Egan was the fourth one. Yeah, Yeah. the
1: fourth uh, incumbent NDPMLA re-elected in 2015, the four of them. The four who became 54. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think think it'd be interesting to see whether, uh, I mean, whether Brian Mason does run for re-election. He hasn't announced officially one way or the other, but this does give an indication if, if, uh, if. Premier Notley was shuffling out MLAs who were not planning on running for re-election or cabinet ministers who weren't running for re-election. Um, I mean, this was really her opportunity. That said, I think it would have been, uh, I think it would have been difficult for her, even if Brian Mason wasn't running for re-election, it would be very difficult for her to shuffle someone as yeah. senior as Brian Mason out. I mean, he, he actually is the longest serving MLA at this point. Yeah.
2: You couldn't easily, for any reason, even if he was retiring, you, you couldn't take him out of the cabinet, I, I would think. Yeah. And I agree with you too that I'm surprised they didn't promote a couple more because it is still a relatively small cabinet. Yeah, She would have lost no support by adding a couple more associate ministers. You know, the, the people who love small cabinets are not voting for her anyway. So I think she missed an opportunity there. I mean, I even think about some of the Edmonton region ones. And maybe it's because we're more familiar with them. But just like you said, to be able to campaign next time and say, I mean, I'm a senior player in the government. You should reelect me because it's good for our community. So we'll see. Um... Do you expect any more? We've talked about Mr. Mason. Do you expect any more people to announce that they're not running, or do you think that's it?
1: Uh, I I think we'll see. I think we could see a few of the rural MLAs, rural NDP MLAs, not running. And there's some big boundary shuffles happening in some areas. Um, one of the one of the MLAs I'm going to be looking at looking for is uh, or looking at is um colin paquette in the new because his by his current riding of i think it's athabasca sturgeon redwater or athabasca redwater is it's totally redrawn uh and i think either no matter which way you cut it uh if he were to run for re-election he'd be running against a ucp mla either i think either david hansen on one side and uh glenn van Dekin on the other where, side
2: we're everywhere dave we are everywhere. In in, in the rural areas.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's what happens when you take away rural seats is, is yeah. you you kind of force MLAs into a position of yeah. running against each other. Well, Spe- speaking of which, um, tonight, uh, Todd Lowen, who is the current at UCP MLA for Grand Prairie Smokey, is going to be nominated as the UCP candidate in the new, I think they're calling it Central Peace Notley riding, which positions him to run against the M- NDP MLA and an energy minister Mark McQuaid Boyd who's the current MLA for Dunvegan Central Peace Notley I think is what they call it so the two ridings are merging she's being nominated later this week he's being nominated tonight uh, and that's one one position or one situation where we will see uh, you know, for sure two, two incumbents running against each other, which is actually quite, I think I've mentioned in the podcast before, but it's actually quite rare in Alberta politics. And I think the last time we had two incumbent MLAs run against each other was 1993 when Nick Taylor and Steve Zaruski ran against each other in the Redwater riding there because their two ridings had been kind of merged. Um, so that was really, that was the last time. I think we've had a couple of close calls, but usually someone backs out, but it'll be interesting to see, um, uh, you know, when you actually have two two incumbents running against each other, what that actually means for, uh, for the
2: results of the election. I know who I'm betting on. The other one that was interesting between today and the last time we recorded was Airdrie East, where incumbent Angela Pitt actually did manage to win her nomination. And it actually wasn't even that close. I uh, read somewhere it was about 71%. You know, and I'm glad she won. She's a friend of mine, and I think she's been an effective MLA. But I'm also a little bit sad just about the opportunity that the UCP has lost here. This is a high-profile candidate, Roger Millions. The voters in Calgary and in Flames Nation know him. And, you know, it would have been good. I think he brings something to the table that um, we don't have a lot of. And so I'm a little bit disappointed. I always, because I'm a bit of a party guy, I guess I'm always disappointed when strong candidates run against each other in nominations because only one can win. So, um S- similar situation just on the other side of Highway 2, where former broadcaster and former MLA Bruce McAllister is rumored to be running against Leela A. Here. So we'll see. Um, I'm not sure what the track record for former journalists in politics is, but there seems to be like a real pipeline between the two professions, probably because they are very similar. You know, from Mike Duffy to um, there's the Senate. There's the senator in the Liberal Caucus, formerly Liberal Caucus, who John Cratchitian put in the Senate. What's oh, his name? Uh, what's his name? Ah, it's on the tip of my tongue. You know, there's often rumors about um, Dave Rutherford running. You know, it's because you, you listen to these people. You know their voice. They know the issues. They talk about the issues eight hours a day. And so I can always see the temptation for the journalist to run. Sandra Jansen would be another example. But I think the experience of politics can be a little bit rough for them sometimes because you unless you really are a genuine celebrity and maybe Roger Millions would have been, you know, you get into the party fold and all of a sudden you're one of 87 candidates and you have people telling you what you can and cannot say. And here's the template and your sign will have the same pantones and color scheme as everybody else's. And I think it's a bit of a shock.
0: Yeah. I feel like one of the only politicians who gracefully moved from journalism into politics, and this is, Totally debatable is probably Scott McKean is the only one who comes to mind. It seemed to be something that he took to quite easily. and I I can't for the life of me think of someone else who's done it with the exception of maybe Adrian Clarkson, but but she wasn't really a politician. She was elected. Yeah, she was the Queen's representative. So I don't know.
1: It, it was Jim Munson who was appointed to right. the Senate. Yeah, I just looked it up on on Wikipedia because I was on, it was on the tip of my tongue as well. Um, yeah, going going back going back to Airdrie East. I mean, I thought it was there was there was a lot of talk. There was a lot of kind of circling of the wagons. I think Lila or not, pardon me, not Lila here. Uh, uh, Angela Pitt had, I think, fifteen MLA and UCP MLA endorsements. It really looked like they were. Panicking, and they thought she was in trouble. Uh, and I had an opportunity. on I was driving down to Calgary that day, and I stopped in at the uh, the Town and Country Center in Airdrie and, and uh, I saw as one it, does. As one, as one as one does, it's like two minutes off the highway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I stopped. I pulled into the parking lot to see what kind of action there was, and there were all these buses lined up. And I thought for sure. I thought, oh man, this is a this is like an old-fashioned Tory nomination race. There's gonna be thousands yeah. of people. Well, it turns out that the you know the 20 buses that were lined up were picking up kids at the school next door. <laughs> so it wasn't you know it wasn't as exciting as uh, as uh, as I thought it would be. But I did get a chance to talk to Angela Pitt and M L A Mike Ellis in. Uh, uh, in the in the parking lot. Oh, they, they talked to you. Yeah, I
2: I told them not to. Oh, okay. Well, no, no, they didn't just listen teasing. to you. I'm just teasing. Yeah, How'd no, they. Uh, uh,
1: so I had a had a, had a had a chat with them about uh, about what they thought the nomination, how the nomination was going, and and uh, I mean, obviously they were putting in the work that they needed to do to uh, to win the nomination, um, but uh, obviously it wasn't really much of a race. I mean, I think it's. I mean, watching the kind of the 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 circumstances, the events that that unfolded with Roger Millions kind of announcement, making a big splash and announcement that he was retiring from broadcasting yeah. and jumping into politics. And then nine days later, well, that's getting crushed in a nomination nomination race. It just seemed really odd that, uh, yeah, I
2: think he may have, I guess it's not fair to say he was naive because I don't know, but the timing was a bit odd. If, if he was going to do that big splash, he should have done it maybe a month or two sooner and actually had time to leverage that into something. But yeah. Seems to me by the time he made that announcement it was the the recipe was done. It was in the oven, you know, like I don't know what you can change in nine nine days. So
1: I don't know. Well obviously
2: not enough. Yeah. So
1: maybe we'll see maybe we'll see Roger Millions show up as a candidate in the neighboring Airdrie riding Airdrie Cochran, which I think has five or six candidates running for the U C P nomination right now. So it's yeah. a it's a pretty crowded race, but there's no incumbent. So it'll be interesting to see whether whether he does show up somewhere else. Is that, is that Westhead? Uh, yeah, that's the the currently well, the Airdrie is being split. So it, like the the east half, or the west half of Airdrie is included and then Cochrane, which is currently part of the Banff Cochrane riding, which is represented by NDPMLA Cam Westhead. But yeah. Cam Westhead is running for re-election in the new Banff Kananaskis riding, which is the, the neighboring riding because all the other all the boundaries are being redrawn. So you can
0: definitely tell that an election is coming up very soon here in Alberta. Because the NDP released a, well, what I'm going to call a negative ad. Uh, It's a website called notonyourteam.ca. And uh, here's a little bit of audio from the the video they have on
2: the website. Okay, Jason, you're new here. That's good for us. People don't know the real you. Let's keep it that way. You want your $700 million tax giveaway to the rich? Job number one, you spin. How are we going to pay for it? Easy. Healthcare cut. Education cut. 3,600 teachers gone. And for the last time, do not tell them what you think about a woman's right to choose. Jason Kenny, He's not on your team.
0: We, before we started recording this part, there was a little bit of debate around whether or not this is actually a negative ad.
2: Well, it's clearly a negative ad. The, the premise of a negative ad is that the only message is a negative message about the other guy. There's no positive policy to this they're trying to define i mean it's it's sound theory they're trying to define a leader before he can define himself but after dave responds to tell us why he doesn't think it's a negative <laughs> ad i'll tell you why it's not going to work and while i think it's funny i can't imagine the effect that it's going to have. but dave you don't think this is a negative i, ad?
1: I, I think it's it, it can be described as an, an incredibly soft negative ad there's okay, there, there there's like no like grainy picture of you know, Jason <laughs> Kenny. Jason <laughs> Kenny mugging people in alleys and you're, or, or you're trying you're to like about intensity, though. You're beat not old ladies about up with a carbon tax, or you know, like yeah.
2: But you're debating the intensity gradient, not the fundamental purpose.
1: Yeah, no, I I, 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 but I think the intensity is something that's really important. I mean, I, I think it does it, 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 and it basically points out what stuff that Kenny has said that his that a UCP government will do. Uh, it says it talks about how. The, the UCP will give All a $700 right. million dollar tax giveaway to the rich yes. by in re-implementing the, ta- the, the flat tax, well, cutting health care, cutting education, uh, and then they talk about his position uh, kicking, on a women's right to
2: choose. Kicking puppies and oh, being no. mean. It's the same ad I've been hearing my whole life mm-hmm. about conservatives. This is such copy and paste, what? boring. Like Seriously, whose vote moves because of it? So maybe maybe I, it's turnout.
1: I, I think where I think where, where the NDP got a little wrong when they're introducing the "he's not on your team" slogan. Well, I guess you could call that for this. Is is they're making the mistake that. A lot of Albertans don't already know who Jason Kenney that's is. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, and I think totally. that's I think that's it. I think I think you can I think a lot of the criticism in this ad is actually quite fair. Uh, you know, you could talk about how it's f- the framing is negative. Abso- yeah, it's it's yeah. framed it's a framed in, framed in a negative it's way. It's a pretty it's a pretty soft negative ad in in my opinion. But yeah, it's
2: not soldiers with street. But no, soldiers mm-hmm. with guns on the street. Oh, yeah. pointing at the camera with the camera going black. And yeah, sure. But you're right. He's been, this is what I was going to say. He's been elected since 1997. You know, when, when Stefan Dion and Michael Ignatiev got painted with a similar campaign, it's because there was a void. So I think there's two things that have to be present for a... What's the other way that some of these are... Ta- a contrast add to work. I think it has to be against a leader that's unknown. And I think it has to be based on a grain of truth. So I guess we're debating... I'll, I'll let you have the point that, yeah, he's probably going to change some things around some of these topics.
1: Give ta- tax cuts for the rich. And but he's a known and education.
2: And, and the other thing that I, I think is actually kind of offensive is this idea that our MPs aren't real citizens. Like, this is a really dumb argument. Like, it's just in, uh, intellectually dumb. That someone who's been living in Calgary or Edmonton representing their riding. So is is Amarjit Soheed a bad Albertan because he's been in Ottawa for four years? Like, it's, it's just down
1: i'll i'll I'll, I'll give you that i think that's kind of a lame the lame line of attack is you know attacking a member of parliament or a federal cabinet minister for spending a lot of their time in ottawa or around the country there's Um, other things to say there there yeah absolutely i I don't i don't really think i mean sure you could i mean sure you could attack them for that but i don't really think it's a i I don't think it's it's really fair I i think that what i what i would like to see from from the ndp is and i think that a way that a campaign like this will work is if you do provide a contrast. Uh, so provide, you know, if, if this were followed up by some really strong positive Rachel Notley, uh, adver- Rachel Notley advertisements talking about what the NDP is doing and then yeah. talking about what contrasting that with what Jason Kenney will do if he's, if he becomes premier. Yeah. Um, and well, I think that's, that's kind of what's, that's kind of what's missing from this. And I, I, but because I do think that when you do, I mean, this is going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch going going into going into the next election. Is is I mean, from the polling I've seen. I mean, when you look at the party polling, the UCP is is 15, 20 points ahead of the NDP in almost every poll or more. Uh, but yeah. when you look at pulling the uh, pulling <laughs> positives of negatives on the party leaders, Jason Kenney actually has a fairly high negative. Wait,
2: rating. no, I'm afraid it's the opposite. In the Janet Brown Wild Ride April um, poll, which is the last one I've seen. There's a 34-point spread in Jason Kenny's to Jason Kenny's favor. So, he's net positive 23%, she's net minus 11. So, I mean, sure, you could dispute the particular poll or the methodology, oh, right, I haven't but seen this this I haven't seen this poll.
1: I trust Janet Brown
2: though. It's the wild ride one. And okay. I mean, I'm not saying any particular poll is important, but as you mentioned, the Main Street one done the same month has the parties at 51% against 20%, and that's the best case if you add in the undecideds and the leanings. The UCP league grows. So I know they have to do something. I'm not going to say contrast ads are off the table. Um, they have to do something and you can use it. I just think pretending like Albertans don't know Jason Kenny, or at least have some sort of formed opinion of him is, I guess I guess if you're them, this is what you do. But I did write down what I would do. I okay. was just
0: going to say that, and I do want to hear what you would do, but I feel like his political strategy, the, the only – way that i can really wrap my head around this is that the ndp needs to mobilize their volunteers now and that's what this does it speaks really only to their base like yeah Yeah. a guy like me who i voted ndp in the last election it was probably the first time in my life that i ever did i you know this doesn't really speak to me i'm not this isn't the message i want to hear
2: like you probably don't dispute this but do you get excited about it does it get you out
0: I mean, honestly, watching the video and looking at the website, my first thought was this looks like it cost a lot of money to make. Yeah. Like the animations, like the Archer style animation. Yeah. But, you know, you've got all this other. It's really nicely done. What What annoys me the most, and this is just nitpicky digital strategy stuff. When you click on the learn more button, it just takes you back to the oh, top. No.
1: Oh, no. You've already been there. I Whoa. legitimately wanted to learn more.
2: And one of the first audio things that jumped out at me when I was listening to it again was he's new here, or I know you're new here Yeah, and the coach. And it's like, okay, we've all seen videos of Jason Kenney when he was 18 <laughs> working at the ledge as the Canadian Taxpayer Federation guy. Like, try again, NDP. You can do better. Actually, I did write down what I would So yeah, okay, you sh- what okay. do. What, what would you do? Now I think we always get a chuckle when I offer the NDP advice, but this is <laughs> not sarcastic advice. This is tr- first of all, number one, I would tone down the hysteria. I think people tune it out. I think hysteria has a role and a place and in high um drama moments, fine. But you can't be hysterical in May of twenty eighteen.
0: This is this is uh pull out all the stops, go T V messaging. Yeah. This isn't a year out from
2: the election. Exactly. This is exhausting. Like, to be this mad and... I mean, you're right. She's trying to mobilize her base. Throwing down the hysteria. Number two, I would actually talk more about making it tangible on the positive side. So, they, they've been running ads like this my whole life. That if you vote conservative, you're going to lose nurses, teachers, hospitals. I think people tune it out a bit. But I think maybe what she should say is what they will build. We will hire 100 nurses for your community. We will... Build a new school, whatever it is. Make a tangible list. Tell people in um, Windermere and in North Windermere, or what's the other Windermere? We will build you a school if you like. To. And because I'm think my point, my third point is this: play to your strengths. I know that I tease the NDP about fiscal responsibility, but I honestly don't think that motivates their base. Like to be honest, I think they think catching up on the infrastructure deficit or whatever is more important. So make it about that. Have a plan. Say, we will run another deficit, it's true, but here are the 100 things that we're going to do. We're literally going to build a hospital in Sherwood Park. We're going to do this, we're going to do that. And then make us campaign against it. Because no one really, like, everyone needs an accountant or they need, like, a dad, quote, you know, the responsible, well, son, have you thought about this? But it's no fun. It's no fun to be that. Yeah. So force us to be the responsible accountant dad and say, well, yeah, a hospital in Sherwood Park sounds nice, but how are we going to pay for it? Like, I would play to the strengths. I would say we're going to build it. And the other thing that I think I would do if I was them, and I think maybe we all agree, is I would declare today, June 25th, independence from the National Party. I would make a point. I would do an event. I would say we love Linda Duncan and whatever, but we're going to vote NDP. But our party stands on its own. Albertans love independence yeah, from Ottawa it'd and from a, national. would
0: be a great idea. I mean, you know, if you think about elections are about defining the ballot question. It's clear, based on this single communications tactic, (coughs) the question they're trying to define is, is Jason Kenney the right leader for Alberta, right? Right.
2: Today's Alberta. Today's Alberta.
0: Alberta. But there's like, to your point, Ryan, what a guy like me, again, casual political observer, plus, what I'm curious to know is, the NDP has spent four years implementing their policies, rapidly implementing their policies. They've built a base, What happens next? And tell me what the pathway is to um, not running all these deficits. That's what I want to know as a voter. I'll make up my own mind about Jason Kenney and they don't have to spoon feed this stuff to me. The media is going to help them tell that story anyway.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that that's a a, could be a powerful message is, you know, uh, you know, Rachel Notley making the argument we've we've got Alberta back on track. Here's how we're going to make it last. Because I think that's—I mean, when you look, go back to the last election, and I mean, r- the next election isn't just going to be a replay of the last election. But, but part—I think part of the the uh, the drive to vote NDP or part of the the NDP wave in the last election had to do with with people were were sick of that. I mean, people were sick of the status quo. They were sick of the Tories, but they were also uh, uh, angry that. Our prosperity had just disappeared I mean the question where did the money go that was something that I heard constantly from people as well You know, why are we why are we having to cut again? We've just had these, you know billions hundreds of billions of dollars moving through the provincial treasury We went through all these cuts 20 years ago So supposedly and we were told supposedly that we would never have to do it again if we made those sacrifices today so, you know, where did the money go and you know look in the mirror and that kind of that kind of stuff everything that that played out played out that way um but yeah i mean i think even even kind of trying to 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 tap into that that kind of positive aspirational message that that really catapulted rachel notley in the last election i mean they'll have to be it'll be different i mean the, the ndp will have to you know position themselves and contrast themselves with jason kenney and they're coming out against a different opponent a stronger opponent uh that 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 is uh, you know, a lot more united than it was in the last election. So that, that's, I mean, the, the just the, the math of the election is going to play out totally differently. But yeah. but in, in terms of just, just creating that contrast, I really hope that we do see that coming out from Rachel Notley. But do you think it was a positive springboard?
2: I mean, we've talked about this before and the structural issues. I don't know if it was a positive tidal wave that brought Rachel Notley to office. I think it was an angry tidal wave. I think it was throw the bums out more than elect these unknowns in.
1: I think it was a mix.
2: It was not And yeah. and people trusted her. Yeah, people she trusted She was a known her. quantity. If it was a new leader, I mean, even if it was David Egan or something, I think it would have been a different election. But,
1: but she, was, she was a new leader, though.
2: But we knew her name. Yeah. I mean, people knew who she was. And, I think...
0: And plus, when she appeared in public, she just crushed oh. it. She was amazing. Yes.
2: I don't dispute that. She was dynamite. Yeah. So, I, but I still think we've... I mean, it's such a cliche. I think we vote governments out yeah. more than we vote them in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's you know typically typically what does happen Go- going back to your point about the the separating from the federal ndp i think that is a big issue that the alberta ndp need to figure out because i think the federal party and their affiliation with and i with with the other provincial parties especially in british columbia is really dra- going to drag them down because well, it's explicit now yeah absolutely they chose and, sides and and, and uh
2: the guys and, like uh, me love reminding them oh like i know it.
1: and then the ucp is going to spend tons of time talking about what John Hor- what john horgan's saying what uh what Jake Singh is saying. What his
2: brother said about police. What the, you know, like they have to wear it just like we have to wear every conservative candidate around the country.
0: What would be the upside of the provincial NDP sticking with the federal party?
2: Infrastructure. Yeah, there there essentially is no provincial, sorry, but it sounds a bit arrogant. Going into the last election, at the level of many CAs, there essentially was no local infrastructure. Right Now, I don't know, to be honest, if there's much of a federal infrastructure in places like barhead either. But I think when you have it's going to be the same activists. I mean, it's the same thing the federal parties saw. Sure, there may have been two parties, but I bet you 75% of the people at most boards, and I can speak to this personally here, we're still the same people. Yeah. So I think they lose infrastructure, but I don't think they lose I think on net it's a huge positive for them to quit because Albertans love telling Ottawa to pound sand. It's what yeah. we it's what we love.
1: And and th- that's the advantage that uh, that Rachel Notley has as, as leader of the NDP, even though she has this, you know, she's she's built this alliance with Justin Trudeau on climate change and on different issues. She's not the leader of the Liberal Party of Alberta. She can tell the federal Liberals to go pound sand, right. and uh, and you know she can also, if they chose to, tell tell the their federal party to go to go pound sand if yeah. you know if if, if it's actually going to cost them in the in the next yeah. election. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be, it would be difficult. The NDP is actually, I mean, because they are essentially the. Infrastructure-wise, they are the same. They are the same party. I think if you buy, even to the point where if you buy a membership in the Alberta NDP, I think you're yeah. automatically a member of the federal party That's as well. My understanding too. Has yeah. any
2: branch ever broken away of the current NDP? I,
1: I think the Yukon NDP broke away. I <laughs> good actually for do. them. Yeah, yeah, like in the 1980s or something
2: That's like that. And, See, and I knew yeah. you would know.
1: And uh, but but you have um, provincial liberal parties that are liberal parties that have broken away. I think right now the sure. only, I think the Maritime like the Atlantic Canada Canadian liberal parties are still f-
2: like <laughs> jointly is the Ontario liberal party officially if, if they're, if I they're think they connected. Might be split from the federal party, if
0: they're connected to the federal party, I don't think it's out of the question that the federal party would be like oh, Ontario, you're on your own. Yeah. We, we don't want to wear any of
1: this. Yeah.
2: If I think of the, the provincial liberal party, that is the most essentially the same as the federal liberals. Oh, it is the Ontario liberals. And it's probably just because of the size you've got what is it? 120 some seats. A lot of the same activists. Like yeah. they really have the same character in my mind for better or for worse. Not so much the PEI liberals.
1: Soon to be replaced by the PEI green party. Listen to our last podcast to, uh, to get <laughs> more on that.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I mentioned this to the guys offline, but it turns out the MLA Hannah bell is a, um, aunt or I guess a former aunt of my wife, Leanne bell. So, oh, there wow. you go. We have Green Party roots, too. You are you are
1: practically a member of the PEI Green Party. <laughs> <laughs>
2: practically, yeah. Well, you know, PEI is a wonderful place. And um, one of my father-in-law's, like, lifelong friends is a guy named Ronnie McKinsley. And he was the leader of the PEI Liberals for years, wow. like forever. And it is exactly what you imagine. When he drives around the island, he knows everyone. Like, he actually knows everyone. And they call him Ronnie that's awesome yeah you guys should come to pi it's a great place it is
0: a great place we could do a a live from pi pod
2: well in august i might have to oh
0: shoot okay sounds
1: great that'll be fun we're gonna take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor this week yes painting do you
0: guys know what yes stands for in this context
1: you guys remember?
2: Y-E-S-S, uh, Youth youth, youth, Emerge- youth Emergency Support Center? No,
1: it used to be that. Yeah, now it it's something different. Center youth, starts youth, with en- an S. youth Empowerment or Youth Engagement something something.
0: Youth Empowerment and Support Services. There we go. So um, the idea for Yes Painting sort of came about in 2016 and I don't know if you guys remember when we were kids, but you'd always see those college pro painting signs out around the city during the summer. Well, the Youth Empowerment and Support Services Organization has stood up a side business uh, that works exclusively with youth who have experienced difficult realities because they believe that with the right resources and opportunities, the youth they work with are able to create whatever future they envision for themselves. And by giving these youths a hand up rather than a handout. We're helping them to build the skills they need to foster long-term success and independence. So this is a team of young people going out there and painting your houses if you want. And here's the best part. They donate 50% of all of their profits to the Youth youth Empowerment and Support Services Organization uh, because that's where their workers come from. So the couple of different services that they offer are interior and exterior residential painting, and you know the the bonuses that you get to support a great organization. So, Ryan, if you, if that deck needs painting this year, if those fences need need painting, and you don't want to do it, there are people here who can help you with that. Uh, so, ditto on interiors, walls, trim, ceilings, doors, cupboards, everything. These guys do, and they have very high standards. Uh, they they want to make sure that people get the best possible training to work on their teams. Each of their painters has to complete complete a ten week 200-hour training program prior to even touching your house with a brush.
2: That is way more... Sorry, that is a way higher bar than it is to run your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. All you need is equipment and a dream. But here, these guys are doing it for real. So uh, if you are interested in uh, connecting with Yes Painting, go to yesspainting.com. You can go to the Contact Us section of their website and get a free estimate uh, right now. You can also call their number, 780-906-8055. That's yesspainting.com.
1: Since our last podcast, the Trudeau government has announced that it is extending the current equalization formula.
2: Should Albertans be outraged, Ryan? Outrageous. So I think equalization is one of those things like quantum mechanics. There's probably 10 people in the country who... (laughs) actually understand it? Well, it I was going to
1: ask. Including Trevor Toom. Yeah. Check out his Twitter. And Leach. Check out their Twitter feeds.
0: So but what, is, what does equalization do for Confederation?
2: It ensures... Uh, okay, here's how I'll summarize it. And I know Trevor, who's a very faithful listener, will cringe at this. Okay,
0: good. As long it's, as we can make him upset, we've done our jobs. My so.
2: understanding is that the health transfer and the social transfer is meant to... Basically equalize the level of service that Canadians receive from coast to coast so that it's roughly equivalent Around things like health education access to school access to waiting time So it's not intended to actually equalize income. It's not actually intended to make everybody equally prosperous, but it's basically establishing a baseline that every province can deliver to its citizens. That's my understanding. Dave, do you summarize it differently than that? Th- th-
1: that's uh, that's what I understand. Though it's it is my understanding that the the health the Canada health transfer and the social transfer are separate from from the current e- from, from the equalization, from equalization right? right? So there's right. there's those two. So when you talk about the federal transfers, Alberta does receive health transfer and social transfer from the federal government but we don't receive equalization so you're right and
2: trevor s- is nodding right now to yeah
1: me. so 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 when we, it, it, it kind of frustrates me when people say we don't really get anything from the federal government well actually we we get a lot from the federal government we do, don't just get this program that other other provinces get so the equalization alberta the alberta government yeah. doesn't receive
2: part of the, the, the two main controversies well three being A perception and potentially a reality, although honestly, I've been reading those guys' tweets about it for years and I still don't really understand (laughs) it. The perception that Alberta is disproportionately paying into something without a proportionate gain, that Quebec is the exact opposite, uh, that they are a net receiver, a massive net receiver through deliberate choice, that they don't develop their own resources, they make economic decisions based on it. But I think the thing that really set the tipping point most recently is this idea or perception that Ontario is now a net beneficiary. When one province has a third of our population and I would guess roughly a third of our economy. I think that's what really sets people off. And you know, I'm gonna make I'm gonna be the guy that makes this this argument that if you're if you're trying to explain something this complicated in the political realm If you're explaining it, you're not winning. And, you know, Albertans want a leader who empathizes with their pain, not who downplays it or tries to tell them why they're wrong. I mean, I'm sorry, Trevor and Andrew, and I work in the same ivory tower that Andrew does, (laughs) but this is the ivory tower versus the lived experience. You know, all the stats in the world about why the economy is just fine don't mean anything to the person in Niskew or Calgary who's unemployed. I just read today an article and I I could cite it in the show notes about Calgary office space rent is very, very like a 10 year low.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like it's like 20 over 20 percent vacancy.
2: Yeah. And and in the 2015 election, we learned the lesson that, you know, woe to the politician who says look in the mirror. Yeah. The far better strategy. And I'm not saying Jason or the UCP are, are incorrect. I'm not saying that. But the far better political strategy is saying, blame Ottawa and blame Quebec. And if you can blame them both, well, it's great. You know, you have one argument saying, well, you don't understand. You don't understand average Albertan who's mad about the transfer. Don't you know that you're wrong? Versus the, all I know is Quebec mocks you. They pump their poop in the river and then we're paying for it all. You know, that's a very compelling argument. I'm not advocating for a race to the bottom. I I think everybody should understand the reality. But since when have details mattered? Just to finish my rant here, Dave. Okay. And this is why I was talking about the health transfer. If I asked you, Adam, Mr. Slightly Left of Center and Slightly Political.
0: And probably running for the Rhino Party.
2: <laughs> Would you? S- <laughs> is your general perception that Harper cut health care spending?
0: Uh, I, no, I don't think so. I, that's this not my, perspe- my that perspective.
2: You're far too reasonable. The The basic political rhetoric on that from the left is that he did. I'll tell you what he actually did, and I'm reading from a... Uh, Post media article in 2011 Stephen Harper's conservative government unilaterally announced that it would continue to pay the six percent escalator only until 2016 as of 2017 the annual growth in the health transfer is to be tied to economic growth with a guaranteed minimum of three percent increase per year Harper said I'm not negotiating with all you premiers I'm locking in this increase and after that I'm locking in a slightly lower increase and People lost their minds. And actually, in, although the liberals denounced it at the time, they actually renewed the same agreement. So Harper objectively baked in a permanent increase. And they all called it a cut because they know that the details don't matter. It's a rhetoric issue. And, you know, I've seen ads. In fact, the Ontario Liberal Party ran ads at Harper cut Healthcare And it's like a cut to a growth is not a cut. But the point is, no one really understands the formula.
1: So, so, so this goes goes back to the the. I mean, looking at the response of the UCP and Jason Kenney. I mean, who in this in this debate and in the media coverage, especially in post media, was Jason Kenney was essentially treated as if he's already the premier of Alberta. Uh, oh, like, like that had
2: that that story the other day. that talked about how this is changing the political culture in Alberta, and it showed a picture of Kenney and yeah. of Trudeau. Yeah. Sorry, but yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah no, that's. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, along those lines. Um, That's I mean harsh, isn't it? Th- the, the, sorry.
2: That's pretty harsh if you're notly. Like yeah.
1: Well, and it's totally, like, totally, you know, ina- inappropriate for.
2: Uh yeah. I'd be upset if it was the other way, right? Yeah. And like, as a partisan, that you're assuming she's lost. Or that other one, talking about the three the female premiers. Oh yeah. What, what, what happens to female how premiers? And how it? much is losing yeah. because of their gender? And Notley is one of the pictured, and it's like. And that was the CBC.
1: Yeah, that was really bad. That was really quite poor form on the CBC's part. And then they refused to delete the tweet because they said it was for transparency sake or something, which is just wow. kind of a...
2: Anyway, sorry I interrupted you. Anyway.
1: Um, th- so uh, after the equalization formula was renewed, we heard criticism from Jason Kenney and the UCP about, you know, pretty harsh criticism, as, as you said. Uh, and I mean, anytime you, anytime you're a politician in Alberta, and you get the opportunity to bash Ottawa and Quebec, it usually pl- plays well with with a lot with a lot of Albertans. I mean, regionalism being what it is, and 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 the, kind of the politics of Alberta being being what they are. But Laurentian well, was, wasn't wasn't this the same formula that, that Jason Kenney re- helped renew when he was
2: a minister in Stephen well, Harper's cabinet? Well, I mean, five years ago, everything was different, Dave. But but was it? Well, I think that's the core of this argument, that it is actually a fairly clever political tactic by Trudeau to just renew it because of exactly what we're saying. Yeah. Th- it's hard for us to criticize something that our government brought in. But I think the argument that they're left making is that it was done unilaterally without consultation? Yeah,
1: I, I I think that's a fair comment, and I think I think it was a an, an oppor- I mean, You know, I think there could have been an opportunity for the prime minister to meet with the premiers and meet with the finance ministers, the finance ministers to meet and actually try to work out if they, if they are uh, you know air their grievances. Yeah, in, in, a, in a way that that uh, that might actually might actually be productive. I'm not sure that. Um, but
2: that's the thing. Is it possible for that to be productive? I would say Pierre Elliott Trudeau discovered something that Harper knew and believed that Justin Trudeau tried to revisit, which is that the way our country works is very regional, and a prime minister who sits down with his, I guess it would be 12 counterparts, thir- 13 counterparts, is always going to be at a disadvantage because they gang up. And, um, you know, Trudeau thought, just like he thought with our indigenous um, our indigenous levels of government that he could establish. Everyone likes him so much that he could just charm his way through it, and that worked m- for about six months. Yeah, it works for about ten minutes of a meeting with thirteen premiers, and then you're like, "Oh man, this yeah. is never going to work." They're yeah. all
0: there to extract their pound of flesh from
1: Ottawa, or yeah. or, or oppose slash build a pipeline, <laughs> yeah. or
2: at the same time. I mean, it would be a lot like if the mayor of Edmonton tried to go to the regional. Um, what is that the capital region board capital region board? Yeah,
1: I think it's called something different. now. It is it's called the Metro Metro, Edmund, Metro yeah. Metropolitan Edmonton Board or the Edmonton Metropolitan yeah. Board. I think
2: like in a s- in our system where you have strong premiers, it's very hard. And Trudeau thought he could just charm his way in there. And now all of a sudden he's started to act a little bit more like Harper, a little bit more like Pierre. And I think there's a reason for it, because he would have gone to that meeting. And it would have gone off the rails immediately. And then he has no agreement, and then everyone, including the opposition, is just pounding away.
1: Yeah, and I think with you know with with all these hard files or these you know politically dangerous files going on, or that the the federal government is involved in right now with pipelines, with NAFTA renegotiation, with you know any kind of anything that happens south of the border, right? <laughs> anything that's going on south of the border right now, uh, I d- I'm not sure that's really the kind of fireworks that uh, that Justin Trudeau really would need I mean I think it's a it's probably just renewing the formula is probably good politics for Justin Trudeau uh, going into the next year going to the next election but it's probably not good politics for a federal government in a confederation I think that you know long term wise I mean this you're gonna have to reopen this for renegotiation and there are issues with the formula I mean
2: (laughs) partisan rhetoric aside there are experts including Trevor Toom, who will tell you that there probably should be some revisions to the formula but again, there's like ten quantum physicists economic guys like Trevor who really understand it, and you can't separate the objective formula discussion from the politics of it. It's a fundamentally political item and 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 going in going back to Alberta's position and uh,
1: and and what Alberta receives or doesn't receive from from the equalization formula uh, because Alberta currently doesn't receive anything back from e- from equalization right now um, uh, I, I, I when, when I was reading about the stories, about when I was reading the stories, the news stories and the news coverage about equalization, I went back cause to a document I'd read a few months ago, actually a number of documents I've been reading over over the course of the past three years, which are the credit downgrade documents that the Alberta government has been receiving from the different, um, I don't know what you call them. Credit, credit agencies. Credit agencies. And in, in, in each of those, I think it pretty much in each of those statements, each of those documents, it talks about... Basically the same reason why, you know, the same reason why why Alberta isn't receiving funding from equalization is that our economy is actually quite strong and our government refuses to look at revenue solutions to solve our budget, budgetary problems. So we're running these huge deficits, but in some ways that's of our own making because we rely too heavily on oil and gas revenues and we keep our taxes super low, even under an NDP government, and we don't introduce a sales tax. Whereas, you know, if, if if we want to deal with our revenue problems, which is kind of like totally separate from equalization, uh, you know, looking at the revenue side is something that, that any government is really should have to do. I mean, as well, you can talk about spending and I mean, spending is something that you should look at as well. But revenue, we're not even... Trying to look at the revenue side, so, so so I thought that was kind of an interesting connection between the two. Just because I think Trevor Toom might have put posted a tweet about this, about just because we have a ten billion dollar deficit, it doesn't mean that we we're, we're entitled to equalization
2: under this current formula. That's not that's
1: not how it
2: works. So we've touched on this before. I guess my question and back to advice for the NDP is why don't they? I you know the twenty fifteen federal election was this precedent breaking. Occasion because for basically 25 or 30 years prior to that, there was a consensus around deficits. Deficits are bad. Credit Paul Martin and Preston Manning and Jim Dinning and Stockwell Day and Ralph Klein and all these figures from that era in the 90s who knew. But Trudeau explicitly campaigned on a deficit and he won a majority government, where the federal NDP tied itself in knots to pretend to be finding a balanced budget. So, my question back is if it's so popular, if it's so evidently true, and if you and Trevor and the Ivory Tower are so convinced that this is, you know, an objective policy matter. What is stopping them from doing it? Are they going to lose any votes? Does the NDP lose a single vote by just admitting they're going to run a deficit next time? I don't. I don't get it.
1: No, I. I think that. I mean, I think that the. I mean, the, the. In a way, the both the NDP and the UCP are running on what Albertans want. Albertans want. I've seen this in polling. Albertans want to pay down the debt they want to eliminate the deficit but they also want to increase spending for health and education
2: and have no sales tax
1: and have no sales tax so what we really want is a hundred dollar barrel of oil which is something that neither of the two parties can do
2: which government one of the late Redford budgets had a hundred and five dollar which one was it so yeah,
0: I vaguely remember that. It was absurd that that's what they were. Oh, they're project- projecting. Oh, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. and I do that too. Like, I buy a lottery ticket and then I say, you know, we're gonna w- be worth twelve million, so let's go spend it, right? <laughs> sure,
0: <laughs> but you don't. Yeah, but you don't actually spend it.
1: No, <laughs> I, 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 I have to. I'll, I'll give the NDP. I think they deserve a bit of credit on this. Is that they're. Their their oil projections have actually been fairly good in the last bud in the last budget. They were actually it was actually quite conservative. Yeah. I think in their first few budgets they were a little high. But why but
2: don't they campaign on an increase in revenue, a spending, or a tax increase? Then I mean, just admit who you are, NDP. You're you're not adverse to it.
1: Well, the p-
0: the polling says they they would lose.
2: Well, is it worth? You know, I guess this is why we have politics. Um, yeah. But if one of the things about the NDP that's always been true is that at least they believe things and. At least they actually stand for principle, you know, big government, big labor, well, whatever it is.
1: You know, we, we may not have a balanced budget, but but we're building schools and hospitals.
2: And that's what I would do. I would make it literal. Yeah. I would give all of their caucus, all 87 ridings, an yeah. infrastructure list. Yeah. If I was them. Because totally. what do you, loo- like, you're not, no one is switching their vote because they believe that you're going to run a balanced budget next time. And if you say you're not going to, they're leaving the NDP. Where are they going to go? Like, are they going to vote for the rhino party for Adam? Maybe, but... Well, I'm voting for Adam. That's only one riding.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Can't run in all 87. It'd be interesting. It would be super interesting to see the NDP run on not not a not only a tax increase, but we've got a lot of stuff we want to pay for. We've got an infrastructure deficit that we're still paying for. We need more revenue tools. Here's a PST, everybody. Look, we don't want to do it. But it's the only way you guys get all the things you want.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's consequences for not doing stuff. I mean, there's consequences for doing for you know implementing programs and doing that. But there's also consequences for not. And I think that's what we found. And I think that was kind of when you talk about the the shift from you know Alberton the 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 political shift from, um, uh, you know. Balancing budgets and paying down the debt and that make that being the, the central focus The consequence of that was that they left everything else behind. So yeah. schools weren't being built hospital hospitals were falling apart or being blown up So, I mean there's choices they make and mm-hmm. and talking about the going back to the, the you know the credit downgrades and going back to equalization is you know, we we kind of have a Ten billion dollar deficit by choice in a way. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's partially due to increase in spending, but it's also partially due to not really tapping into the revenue sources that right. the government has available to it. So it's, there's, there's choices that are made.
2: In addition to the choices that governments make around taxation and the political case for uh, sales tax and other things like that, the demographic freight train is coming for all of us. The baby boomers are about to enter their highest need phase of life where they're going to need the most institutional care the most hospital beds all that stuff and every government in the you know industrialized world is dealing with this because the ratio of taxpayers versus tax supporter supportees is going the wrong way and it's a little bit scary and you know the problem with our system is that governments are elected in the short term it's in no one's electoral advantage to actually take hits for the for the long term you know that no one campaigns on the 2037 government's books they campaign on next year's government's books so i guess i'm making partly your your argument guys that you know there is a huge fiscal apocalypse coming for alberta for canada for every government and it is a little bit scary that it's coming for us whether we want it to or not and so i'd like to see government's pay down their debt now while they have some flexibility because they may not have a lot of flexibility for eight, 12 years from now. And now it's time for our regular So
1: You Want to Be a Candidate segment.
2: Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. This one's going to be a little bit different. We're going to talk about social media for candidates, primarily nomination candidates because that's kind of been the theme. But I, I think we're okay to extend it into once you are the candidate for this one. So quick review. I believe that candidates have basically three jobs. They should worry about money, fundraising. They should recruit and take care of their volunteers. And they should be the one dealing with the voters, building the relationship with voters. This social media, to me, is all about the voters. Now, I have to say, sitting at a table with Adam Rosenhart and Dave Cornery and me professing to be the expert on social media feels a little bit backwards to me. That I'm sitting with two of Alberta's actual experts on this stuff, so I'm going to say a couple things, and then I'm going to put some questions to you guys. Sure, sure. Um, it's been said many times that we've been saying this about politics for you know social media is not new anymore. That's the thing; it's kind of boring and old. But you can't win an election on social media; you can lose one. We all have the mythology and the legends of Don Iverson and Nahid Nenshi and all these cases, but they will tell you the same thing: it wasn't just social media that did it. You certainly can lose. A candidate can blow themselves up. And that's what's really different about social media. I hold in my hand an iPhone, which is a publishing tool with no filters, no delays, immediate publishing (laughs) with no editing. And that's a dangerous thing. Um, I really believe that the candidate's objective is to build an emotional connection. I've read research saying that people have three questions in their head when they're evaluating their candidate. And whether that's the, the national candidate or the local candidate. Number one, I want to know that this candidate is like me. It's really hard to define. It's just a thing that's either true or it's not. It's an emotional decision, but they're like me. Number two, this candidate is credible. They have to look credible. They have, you have to be able to close your eyes and imagine them as the city councilor, as the MLA, as the whatever the case may be. And finally, this candidate understands my problems. And I think if candidates can tap into those three things, they're kind of like me, you know, not exactly, but relatable, credible, and that they get it. I think that was the big thing. So for me, those are the only three messages that I think a nomination certainly and probably a general election candidate should ever be posting about. Credibility, likability, and do they understand my problem? So have you guys seen any examples of really bad candidate social media lately
0: Lately um well we've talked about it before and and it 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 has come up even when you put the question out on social uh, earlier today I would say Kerry Diott should not be allowed to do the things he does on social media without having someone vetting what he posts and I also think that Sandra Jansen uh who's uh NDP MLA in Calgary um, she she does a huge disservice to the party and to herself because she just goes after people.
2: yeah and I like I see it that way too, but I'm interesting I'm interested to hear that you do.
0: Yeah, I mean you know I look at I look at someone like Rachel Notley's uh, Rachel Notley's Twitter presence and I like it. you know, you see that she's out there, she's talking about issues. Um, she's celebrating things like, um, you know, Eid and, 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 all these cultural celebrations. She looks like a woman of the people. And that is exactly what I think she should be doing.
2: And she doesn't get into trolling.
0: No, nope, She, yeah. she keeps that shit arm's length. And I know that she's got a staff helping her do that. And that's, that's one of the other things. But it doesn't feel staffy, though. It doesn't. No. It doesn't, no. And, and that means that she has an exceptional staff doing yeah, that sort I, of thing.
1: I think they've really, in terms of Notley's office, I think they've really picked up their game over the past year. I felt like after the last election, they kind of, they had a great social media game in the last election, and then they kind of dropped off and kind of picked up. But I think yeah. over the past few months, we have definitely seen them. So what up.
0: I what I do know about that, and I don't know if it's happened, is that the, the woman who used to help the Premier with that was on Matley's. Oh, okay. Huh. And I think she's back or she's coming back. But yeah, I mean, for me, it's certainly Carrie Diot, Sandra Jansen, are examples of how not to do it.
2: So you're not talking about ideology. You're talking about late night tweets, uncontrolled, undisciplined, looking smaller than your office. Yeah. Or late night oddities. That's what you're, when you're talking about those two, it's not an ideological point. It's like a.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I to your point, th- it, it takes away from the relatability
2: of the candidate.
0: Like, I want to know that if I engage with you on social, I'm not, you're not going to yell at me. Yeah. Right. Like, you're yeah. a representative of the people.
2: Well, and she's, you know, they accuse, they accuse the UCP of being angry. It's right there on that website. But boy, and I know I'm biased because my dad's an electrician and we've talked about this, but I don't know how you could look at Sandra Jansen's public profile and not see the most angry politician in Alberta. Like, she is always raging. I admit I probably only noticed the raging stuff. 'Cause that's what tends to get
0: But that that's important too. That's an important signal as well. If that's all you see. But I'm not a target market. I know, but you're not you're not going out to seek those messages. But then imagine all the other people like you out there.
2: Like Kenny. So let's compare them. The one they're calling angry, if you actually did an objective analysis of his social media So who, sorry who's calling Jay, who Angry? Well it was right there on that anti Jason oh, Kenny. Oh the website. ad, okay, coming back to the ad, okay. If you actually looked at Jason Kenny's social media profiles, the angry, even by some objective, I don't know how you define this quota is pretty small he's It's typically him in some community celebrating their culture. I mean he goes to everything. and if you looked at jansen, even even honest, like even if I'm being objective, and maybe I don't see that stuff, I just see the like attacks, but I don't know who she's, and I think it hurts. you start to look not like a minister. Um, you know, and someone, actually, there's a really interesting interview that we're going to have to link to on the David Hurley podcast. He just interviewed Corey tonight. So a quick, in, a quick explanation is that would be the campaign manager for Kathleen Wynn and the campaign manager for Doug Ford. And one of the things that Corey talked about, and actually Leanne, Leanne Bell has talked about this for, to me for quite a while, is that now that we're in a natively digital age, People expect authenticity in ways that surprise us. So Justin Trudeau in the 2015 campaign did this. I remember it. He did this photo shoot thing, this photo op, where he was wearing cargo shorts and a V-neck T-shirt. And it drove people like me crazy. This He's so out of his depth. Clearly, he's the spoiled drama teacher or whatever. But Leanne told me at the time, when normal people see that, I mean, there's a time and a place. He doesn't wear that in the House of Commons. But he looked like a more attractive version of every dad in this country. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and, you know, Corey says on the podcast, and Leanne and others have said it too, that a 20-second a iPhone video that's done authentically and done on, you know, authentically is probably more effective than a million-dollar spot, TV spot would have been. And in that interview, they talk about how they basically spent the less the least amount of TV and other media ad buys that they've ever done. We're, we've talked about before the, the millennials are here. They're 30 year olds now and they are native digital natives. So social media to me, like you can't really avoid it. There are some legacy politicians out there right now who do just find without it. And that might be for everybody's best, but for a candidate out there running for a nomination now, you know, I, I get risk aversion because we've had so many people blow themselves up, but I would have a hard time recommending that they wouldn't get on any channels at all. So, Adam, if I was, or, or Dave, if I'm a client of yours and I come to you and I say, I want to pay you guys to run my digital for my, my campaign for the Rhino Party, what would you, which channels would you recommend?
0: Um, for me, it would be, it would definitely depend on the kinds of voters that you're courting, right? So if you're looking for young millennial families, moms and dads, I would say probably Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, for sure. Yep. If you want to reach out to younger people to maybe mobilize an audience that could become volunteers, then I might consider like Snapchat would be a good use of that. You get a lot of young, young blood, but you got to use those. You have to use those platforms correctly. You can't look like my dad trying to use Instagram. Cross-posting. But yeah, you,
1: you can't just post the same thing on Facebook as you would on, on Twitter or exactly. Instagram. It just, it looks, it, I mean, they're, they're different medias, right? And when
0: I, like, when I ran, when I helped run, because it wasn't just me, when I helped run Don Iveson's uh, social media accounts during his first mayoral campaign, um, you know, we worked really, really hard to make sure that we were using Twitter for, in a certain way. We were using Instagram in a certain way, and, and same with Facebook. And thank God... That's all that really mattered back then.
2: Right. Like, there's no snapping. No.
0: If I had to what else do it do now? They do now, crazy.
2: What do these crazy kids I mean, do now? You're, you guys snap, are in this. There's every
0: Snapchat. Day. There's Twitch. There's live on Facebook. There's, I, if you could get a politician who had the, the chutzpah to do like a YouTube channel, like vlog style talking into a camera. Man, I think that could be game changing.
2: Well, why don't they? Because they all do Facebook lives now. Huge numbers. If you yeah. watch, even during the UCP leadership. All the candidates were doing it. Yeah. They so why don't they do YouTube? What's the difference between a Facebook Live and a YouTube?
0: I mean, they're th- they're all labor intensive. Like a, a Facebook Live is it's like what we do in the studio here. It's live to tape, but a YouTube recording that's not a YouTube live hangout. You'd have to go back and edit it and make it funny and interesting and for it to sort of fit within the YouTube
2: culture. So if you so Leanne was setting this up for Brian Jean in the leadership campaign for their Facebook lives and these. It was a professional approach, but an authentic approach at the same time. So they had to have professional lighting, sound equipment, staging, but it was also somewhat unrehearsed, somewhat organic. Are you saying that that live to tape, which effectively what Facebook Live becomes once it's done, posted on YouTube, would not resonate? It doesn't seem to. They don't post them. It
0: depends on the audience. Like again, I th- I still think now, thinking of the kinds of voters who are who. Are, who have just become voters or will be voters in the next election. I think the best thing a politician could do is be really good speaking on their feet and able to hold a camera away from their face selfie style.
1: Yeah and there's I mean there's equipment you can buy that's actually becoming quite quite a lot more reasonably priced in like terms a stick? of yeah you could a stick or a little With tripod a gimbal or yeah a little yeah. gimbal and even even like a little, little external lighting that you can attach to it. Oh yeah. Yeah, that. there's Have you guys th-
2: seen what Doug schweitzer has been doing? No.
1: Yeah, I've been following that. Yeah, his 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 he uh, posts tons of short little videos yeah, just like use the hand and door knocking moving. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's 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 it's pr- pretty uh, pretty engaging. Where do you think it's heading, stuff. Dave? Like if I was
2: coming to you to run for the Dave party, the Dave Berta party, what would what would you say?
1: Well I mean I think li- I think li- you know the kind of s- shortcut live video, I mean it's ma- it's it's becoming a lot easier to make and l- a lot easier to produce video. Like I'm looking on my phone right now. I have I'm just pulling up the apps right here. Sorry, I'm old and I have to remember what my <laughs> password is. Uh, I have Pro Movie and Kinmaster, Kinmaster on my phone. So I can record it with I can record a video. With Pro Movie, and then I can uh, transfer the files over to Kinemaster, Kinemaster, and uh, and I can do all the editing. I can edit a little video, per, like you know, that looks semi-professional, right on my phone. And I've done right. this a number of times, and it's great. It's you know, you can if you're doing interviews, getting B-roll, uh, you know, or if you're just doing like your own short little one, you can do it pretty quick. I mean, that's and that's 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 a little more you know it takes about half an hour to sit down and do like a uh, you know one or two minute cut kind a of one or one or two minute video right. um, and that's, so that's not taking it directly from like when you're recording it on your on your video on your phone and just posting it like it's yeah. doing putting a little bit of work in it but it doesn't take much to make it look good make it look professional and if you know things like just simple techniques like how to center of how to center a video how to get good b-roll how to make it so it's not too shaky remembering things like lighting to make sure that the sun's not right behind you when you're when you're trying to <laughs> record something or going into a room that i mean you know we've all been in those conference centers where or you know meeting halls with the high ceilings and the the ugly yellow lighting i mean that that makes everybody look awful so step out in the hallway and get some natural light um i mean there's all sorts of youtube tutorials out there um, about how to use your iPhone or or whatever your mobile device to make you know p- quick and easy professional looking videos, and it's getting easier. Yeah,
0: I th- so I think like the tools for individual candidates are getting easier, but I still think when it comes to a general, uh, you do need people to help you because mm-hmm. you've got so many other things you have to do. Right.
2: right. Yeah. Right. You're supposed to just. I mean, literally, the candidate shouldn't be the one editing the video. No, and the, oh.
0: and the thing that I always told. Uh, Don Iveson when we were running the campaign is what what we want you to do when you're out in public is to look at people in the eye the voter yeah, we don't like we always if someone was staffing him they had his phone and they would find the opportunities, but but it's it's shaking hands It's making direct connections with people social allows you to do that as well but like it's it's important to have the support, so that you're not doing too much multitasking. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, it's so it's so. E- I mean, it's it's so easy to do a bad job <laughs> if you're doing. You know, if you've spent five hours or ten hours outdoor door knocking, uh, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're overwhelmed. You've talked to hundreds or thousands of people in one day. Uh, you, you probably shouldn't be the one, and, and you know, as the candidate, you probably shouldn't be responsible for for tweeting. Or you probably shouldn't be responsible, if, you know, for writing the tweets and and uh, or, or
2: managing your own Facebook page, right? And uh. even just typos. I mean, yeah, just a second pair of eyes. Never oh, heard. A workflow Ty- is good.
1: Yeah, we're a workflow. Typos or like. Uh, unintended you know un- unintentional mistakes We're i mean trying my, to be funny yeah totally uh, trying to be <laughs> sarcastic my 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 colleague and um uh, m- m- many listeners of this of this podcast might be familiar with david klimenhage as albertapolitics.ca blog and, and check it out uh but he he uh, he has a saying He uh, a term he describes as the professionally dirty mind is you know right looking at if you if you're doing an advertising campaign if you're sending out a uh, you know, you're putting a story in a website if you're sending out yeah. a tweet or What's Facebook or spin. Yeah. Could is, is there any way that this could unintentionally be totally. be, you know, blow up in your face that, that, you know, five people could have looked at it and, and not seen something?
2: Well, for example, and I will put my own team out there on the line for this today. Um, the federal conservative party criticized Justin Trudeau for taking the day off. And, you know, I'm very good friends with people very high up, so I'm not trying to be kind cr- of critical. I'm just, I guess, proving that I'm not totally partisan. What they didn't think about was the fact that today was a stat holiday in Quebec because of St. Jean-Baptiste. And so some <laughs> person, had they had one other stop in the workflow, step in the workflow, maybe someone would have thought of that. There's always things that you can't think of if you're the only one thinking about it back to why diversity is good because someone will be like well that's not really that funny to this group or whatever the case is and um you know i think i think that millennials who are now the mainstream are digital natives and they not only do they communicate through social media they get their information through social media they make purchases online they basically live digitally in a way that no other group has done and so the parties who are really good at this, and Corey tonight can Hurley talk about this too, um, the 2015 federal liberals were ahead of the federal conservatives. But the conservatives did more in that campaign digitally than they had ever done. They just got leapfrogged. The Ford campaign was digital first, before TV, before radio, before print. They thought digitally, and then they made versions of it for other channels, which is a crazy thing because 20 years ago you never would have imagined that
0: i think a really really great resource if you can pay for his time uh to talk to him about this stuff is zane velge who was the campaign manager for nahed nenshi's mayoral campaign
2: the original twitter mythology that that was a twitter campaign and that was because of twitter well
0: well, the funny thing was i remember chatting with him during the campaign he's like yeah i keep having community members come to me and say you're not doing enough advertising And he was like, I'm doing a ton of advertising. You're not seeing it because I've already identified you as a yes. Yeah. Why am I going to waste my money on you? Well,
2: one of the things Facebook allows, specifically Facebook, but others too, is everyone experiences the campaign differently now. There is no mass campaign anymore. Because, yeah, my demographic, St. Albert, family, male, whatever, may not be the one they're targeting. And oh, yeah. so it used to be a mass media thing where everyone saw the ads. And now it's like you, the three of us might experience a totally different campaign. Yeah, yeah and, and,
1: s- and even, even I mean, the the level of not not only just just uh, uh, targeting on, you know, in terms of interests and, and what what the, allegor- what the algorithm has figured out about you, but targeting in terms of geography, lo- like the location-based targeting. I've heard of in the States there have been campaigns that have figured out how to target polling stations wow. so that... Voters who are waiting in line to vote on election day take out the f- when they take out their phone and they open Facebook or they open Instagram. They'll see targeted ads for candidates in their in their districts. Wild. Yeah, that's Wild. that's crazy that you yeah. could actually like micro-target like polling yeah. stations. Well, so the industry's that, going there. Yeah, right? that's that's where we're reaching right now. There was
0: a, there was a, a while ago a podcast that I know that I think you listened to Ryan Reply All. They did a show where someone someone a caller phone in and I was like, they were like, I'm convinced oh, yeah. that Facebook messenger is listening yeah. to my conversations. It's one of my favorite episodes. But people, ha- you, none of us, not even in this room have any idea how much data we put out there about oh, ourselves, yeah. Yeah. whether it's the shit you buy online, the places you go, like a lot of, a lot of any, go into any car dealership. You'll get beaconed on your phone. Like it'll start collecting data on your habits and
2: well, I highly recommend that episode. It's we so link great to it. But what they said, the mind blowing thing is they're pretty sure it doesn't use your mic because it doesn't have to. Exactly. Because you put out so much other data yeah. that it just, they can build this profile. I mean, I have stories about that too. I'm sure we all do. Oh yeah. Um, Leanne and I were somewhere and she mentioned the name, a word that we don't use often. I'm trying to remember what it was. And we, she said this word. And, like, five minutes later on Instagram came a winery ad for that word. Whoa. And we never typed it. So, But everyone has a story like that. Yeah. And, you know, what we've seen out of the controversies from the Facebook leaks and all that. But it's not going anywhere.
0: No. And and now with machine learning and artificial intelligence, like, you can develop models around specific personas and, and predict their behavior and the things that they'll need. So maybe it knew that Leanne needed this particular kind of wine at that moment. I have no idea, but it's nuts. And, and campaigns that don't start. and you know, I, I haven't done a campaign in a couple of years, but if they're not using these tools, they've already lost. It's not even just about the conversations you engage with your, your followers on Twitter and Instagram or whatever, but it's about that. The kind of targeting Dave, that you were talking about the kind of advertising that you can do, to get really specific with your messaging.
2: So just to wrap this up, to bring it back to the practical advice for our candidates out there, here's what I would recommend. And you guys tell me if you agree. Sure. I, I think that fitting in my big three message narrative that you're, you're, the candidate is like me, the candidate is credible and the candidate understands my problems. I would use Instagram for relatability for photos, some professional stuff, some clearly ad hoc stuff. I would use Twitter for responsiveness—that you are um, able to engage. Twitter would be the most high-risk one for me because it's the most aggressive, and I would use Facebook for—it's frankly the largest audience; just about everybody's on it, and it's the best for easily targeting and for data mining.
0: Yeah, I would say I would I would add to Twitter—you you, ha- you should be there because the, the the so-called political classes hang out there. Yeah, stay out of the bullshit. And realize that it's a place the media goes to mine story ideas. Yeah,
2: you can watch yeah. them react to stories in real time. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing.
0: So you can—I don't want to say manipulate because there are smart people working the media, but you can you can work
1: that system pretty well. Yeah, yeah Don't uh, look at what Sandra Jantz is doing and, and don't do that. Yeah. Don't don't get in fights with anonymous uh, Twitter accounts. It's really not worth your time. It's a total waste of time, actually.
2: That's a good point. If there is one message I have to candidates. <laughs> <laughs> it's not only don't argue with people on Twitter, because sometimes, I hate to say it, sometimes it could be to your advantage. Like, if you can bait, if I could bait, Ra- if I was running, and I'm not, but if I could bait Rachel Notley, that's a win for me. <laughs> but why engage with anonymous trolls? I don't get it. Like, they're anonymous. You're giving them credibility. They have none. I'm with you on
1: that. I, I think as, as a candidate, it's a total, It's a, like, it's a it's a complete waste of time. And not only is it just a waste of time, but it actually might hurt you.
0: But But I don't disagree but I understand why it happens because candidates put themselves out there. It's deeply, yeah. p- and quite often these trolls are making personal yeah. jabs at them, which is why you need to give your campaign manager or a volunteer your phone. Not your spouse. And exactly, especially yeah. not your spouse. Because they're worse than you are. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Even worse. <laughs> right. And when you get home at night from a, the, a day on the trail, don't, don't read the tweets. Don't read it. Let don't read y- anything. Let your comments. staff deal with that yeah. stuff. Yeah.
2: Yeah. R- yeah, yeah. Delete your Twitter app on your own phone. Yeah. And if you don't have a staff, you surely have a friend. Like, for those candidates out there running in a small nomination, the principles are still true. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, fellas, it's that time of the show. We haven't done this in a little while, actually, but it's that time of the show where we crack open the mailbag. You ready for this? Our first question comes from Berta Advantage on Twitter. And Berta Advantage says, given the recent mosque arson, and he's talking about one that happened here in Alberta. In Edson. Okay, in Edson. Yeah. What steps should be taken by conservative politicians to curb Islamophobia in their base, especially given Harper's dog whistles in 2015. So I'm just going to kick this one off, Ryan, because I think this question is actually a dog whistle for the left.
2: Me too. Um, I'm not too proud to admit that the premise of this is insulting and I think unfair um, on several levels. The it's hard not to sound petty, so I'm going to try to rise above a little bit. The NDP for Edson, is or I'm sorry, the MLA for Edson is an NDP. The government of Alberta is NDP. The last mosque shooting in Canada took place in Quebec. I think to attribute this type of horrible crime and act of hatred and, you know, criminal behavior with partisanship is part of the problem. I guess to... To quote West Wing, I I reject the premise of the question. But, you know, if I'm being fair, um, we've had politicians in the federal conservative leadership race recently try to kind of play on these themes a little bit, the nationalism theme. And, you know, this is one of the key differences between Doug Ford and and Donald Trump is that there's no hint of xenophobia with even Doug Ford. I mean, his, his, his coalition is new Canadians. But I get it. I get that that's what's out there. Um, I think I am very proud to see what, for example, Jason Kenney does on this topic. I get that for those who hate him, that this is not part of their mental narrative of what he's about, but Jason Kenney spent, let's call it 20 years building bridges to new Canadians, I guarantee you there is no politician in the country who has as many connections with as many cultural communities as Jason Kenney. If you don't believe me, go look at his Instagram. I bet you 30 of the last 40 posts are him attending some cultural celebration. The, I've been with him at um, cultural events, and believe me, he gets mobbed. Pick, throw a dart at the dartboard full of different communities in this country. He knows them. So, you know, what can we do? We can build relationships. We can speak out. We do denounce this stuff. Absolutely. So, yeah, it, you know, Berta Advantage, who uh, I think that's an anonymous account. It, 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 you know, I'm partly angry at the question and partly sad that that perception's out there. I also admit that we, we do have work to do on this. You know, people do say stupid things all the time. So,
0: I.E. Kelly Leach.
2: Right, and what happened to Kelly Leach?
0: Yeah, she's vanished back into obscurity.
2: Yeah, and, you know, one of the things I'm the most proud of in the last leadership race is how that <laughs> attempt cratered, because people said, you know, we can, <laughs> we can disagree on cheese and milk, but that we agree on, that that is BS, mm-hmm. that, you know, we are not um, a place where we tell newcomers they're not welcome. I mean, the majority of the GTA, Greater Toronto population, was born outside of this country. One of, the, one of the things that drives me crazy about the Central Canadian perception of Edmonton, and even places like Fort McMurray and Calgary, is they think we're like a homogenous group of white Anglo-Saxons, and it's not true. I mean, when, when's the last time this questioner went to West Edmonton Mall? It's, it's pretty diverse in Edmonton. So anyway, I'm. It's emotional for me. So over to you, Dave.
1: Yeah, no, I I think uh, w- one of the things that gets me is that after, or that you know we we see after any kind of event happens, like the the mosque fire, or the the person who tried to set the mosque on fire in Edson, um, is I mean we see condemnation from all politicians of every stripe. That kind of that's kind of normal and that's kind of ex- expected. What I would like to see is politicians take the f- the next step and say. Not only do I unequivocally denounce this and denounce the people who do this, but if you are Islamophobic, if you think that burning down mosques is something is is a good thing, then I don't want you involved in my party. I don't want you voting for my party. But, but that's, that's incumbent on all politicians, yeah, not no,
2: no, no, just conservative. Not just
1: conservative. No, no, I think all, I think all, all, all parties should do that. Well, I, I'd like to see all
2: parties do Kenny's that. Kenny's on record saying that. I was at a speech when he said that. and I, I'm pretty sure Notley has said that before too. Mm-hmm. But I was at the speech at the UCPA gym in Red Deer, and there was a line where Jason Kenny said, if you're, I forget exactly, if you are a misogynist, if you don't think women have a role, you're not welcome here. I mean, what more? Like, the fight will never be over humankind is flawed but to make it partisan i think doesn't help anybody and it probably has the opposite effect mm-hmm.
0: all right let's get it, let's move on to the next question this one comes from fellow alberta podcast network podcast i have some notes a great uh, movie criticism podcast you guys should check out they ask will hollywood make a crime drama out of derek fildebrand's career who gets cast as the political hack
2: Wait a second. You edited this. I did. They originally had <laughs> the word loathsome in there, yeah. which while I'm on the rant train, I'm going to continue. Look, so I have concerns with Derek too.
0: It originally said who gets t- cast as the loathsome political
1: hack. Okay, so so are we going to talk about your issue with calling him loathsome or are we going to talk about who who we would cast in the Derek Fieldbrandt feature film or meet my my made made for TV film, I think. <laughs> my thing first. All right. Straight to DVD.
2: I just want to put down the marker once again that Somehow we're at the point where it's routine to call Derek Fildebrandt loathsome. Like, that's a pretty harsh word. You know, you can say you disagree with him. You could criticize him pretty harshly. I get that he can be harsh as well. But I wrote back to our friends that I Have Some Notes, and I don't even think they understood what I was saying. That I was like, is that productive? Like, name-calling. And honestly, if it was the other way around, if it was Cam Westhead, calling people names which he has done before i am equally you know and i get i get into it too but i'm just gonna say loathsome why don't you just call derek uh wrong or why don't you call him misguided or why don't you know i could we could pull up the dictionary and pull out a whole bunch of things but when you say loathsome you lose me and i'm gonna say that goes both ways so ucp candidates out there don't call people loathsome there's it just makes it honestly reflects poorly on you anyway who should play him
1: yeah, who should, ah. who do you think should play him? Because I I have I have I have a, uh, some I mean, suggestions. There's So many
2: things you have to factor in. You have to factor in the beard. Yeah, and kind of like the, and I'm German as well. Kind of like the German um, stoicism <laughs> and you know the whole. He's he's got to
0: look good well, standing in front of a truck with jerry cans, and that's hard to do. Yeah, yeah
1: and, and the other question is: is it a comedy or is it a drama? Because mm. then that, that's two different things. It's, I think it's like the room. The, well, it's now what's the room? It's a tragic comedy. Politics okay. is a tragedy. Okay, yeah, no, it is. Okay, so 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 my my suggestions are, if it's a comedy, uh, Zach Galifianakis. Oh, that's a good one. And if it's a if it's a drama, then uh, Matthew McConaughey. Holy oh. shit! Okay, so here's
0: mine. If Boy, it,
2: Derek's head just grew a little bit with that one. If if
0: it's a comedy, Seth Rogen. Oh, th- I think he could grow a mean beard. <laughs> and if it's a drama, James Franco.
2: Oh, that's a good one well, let's we'll have to contact Derek, and
1: see what he thinks. <laughs> yeah, today. yeah, though i don't I don't think the CBC movie, uh, if it's a, if it's a CBC movie, I'm not sure they'd be able to afford either of those two actors. so <laughs> we'll we'll have to find a local Toronto actor. Uh,
0: this next question comes from Mountain Ted, who's been on the show before, Friend of the pod. Uh, question, What are you hearing from Alberta politicians about the upcoming cannabis legalization?
1: not much from provincial politicians no. most of the most of the discussion around cannabis the upcoming cannabis legalization is happening at the municipal level it seems now so a lot of debate at city councils in Edmonton and Calgary about where where like storefront cannabis shops should be located
0: and where cannabis can be consumed yeah as well yeah
1: so th- it's kind of I think we're past that like we're past the debate we're way past the debate about whether it's, gonna not, it's going to happen or not because it's going to happen. but even the merits of it.
2: Like, I think the yeah. political issue is settled. Yeah, it's... it's now it, you're at the bylo- the bylaw level. It, yeah. But, but yeah. I think
0: what's interesting about that, and I've seen Don Iveson tweet about it or message about it a few times, they need help from the province to administer a program that regulates...
2: So a lower level of government... But that's always their message, Asking I know. a higher level of government... I know. ...to fund their problem. I mean, yeah. And other than the higher... And I don't mean higher, lower, and the parochial sense but yeah p- the different orders of government and then the, if you watched the parlsack for justice i can't remember his name the federal liberal when he gave a press conference he talked about provincial jurisdiction and he said those words probably like 30 times in two minutes provincial jurisdiction, really? provincial jurisdiction because they don't want to deal with it either they
0: just want to they just want the tax revenue
2: you know it, it is remarkable though if you rewind four years eight years 12 years At least on the conservative side, it would have been far more controversial.
1: It's a non-issue. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I feel like the politics are settled, and Uh, it's basically a non-issue. Aside
1: from some crusty old senators in Ottawa, this is pretty much a uh, a settled issue. Yeah,
0: who have never once smoked or eaten cannabis, by the way. I do not believe that for one (laughs) second. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, this question comes from uh, Mary Aitken. Uh, What are your thoughts on CEO salaries and other top executives? uh, This is in in the context of the sunshine list. And Marie's position is that AHS executives are still making a lot of money. Uh, So what are your thoughts on CEO salaries and other top executives? How will the UCP in particular curb this problem? She had high hopes for the NDP. And so far, she doesn't see much change in increasing frontline staff, like reducing executive salaries and increasing frontline staff.
2: I I think we party the ucp and maybe conservatives in general in canada would bring a different approach to this in two ways one would be this general transfer of assets away from the management layer to the front lines and i know that that can be a bit of a loaded thing like i i don't think there's quite the bloated bureaucracy anymore that some conservatives would say because they've been through so many cuts but we would shift resources to the front lines we'd make decisions more local we would allow people on the ground i shouldn't say we i don't speak for anyone except myself and my dog but uh you know what i'm saying we'd move decisions closer to the, fr- the other thing where i think there's a genuine political diversity here is that we although there's still consensus around the canada health act and around single payer no conservative mainstream conservatives go anywhere near um, private pay we w- are open to experimentation around private delivery so you know, we would look at different places around the country where certain procedures are executed by a private clinic or like I think there's room for experimentation there. And I, I think that'll be the core of the conservative argument that if you can offload some things off of the system within the confines of the Canada Health Act, then I think that's what our approach will be. So, you know, the other point I'll make, Marie, is healthcare is super, super complicated. It's huge, it's logistically challenging. Basically every citizen is a consumer of the product. I don't think we're well served when we minimize the complexity or make it sound like it's easy to fix. I don't see a government in the Western, or sorry, in the industrialized world that doesn't struggle with this because it's it's a very expensive thing. And so um, I think you know, when you start talking about executive salaries, there might be some room to look at that for sure. But you can't say this executive makes 200 grand, yet we need four more nurses. Like that's not necess- that's not a real answer. You can maybe tweak things, you can limit things, but I think we need to break the wheel. I think we need to look at new types of delivery.
1: I, I guess, well, first of all, I mean, I think I think that looking at private delivery is something that the UCP probably will do and I think they've been as explicit as saying that in their policy documents I don't know if it made it through the I think it made it through the policy convention but it was in their initial policy draft policy doc discussion document that was released before so I mean further privatization is something that that I think but but I mean the UCP is explicit at saying that they they will try to uh, uh, they will try to experiment with I mean I think that you know as we, we've we've seen in in, in in some other provinces it doesn't always uh, doesn't always lead to the same to the, to the positive results that conservatives think they w- think they w- think think it will it doesn't always decrease budgets um, you know a lot of times it did actually in- increase costs and becomes becomes less efficient um, but in terms of so i mean i, I yeah well, w- under the ucp i think that's that, that's the direction they'll go talking about the the s- not so much the sunshine list but the the ndp's approach to executive salaries in Boards and agencies and commissions and I think that's so this is something that's that is something that will have a lasting effect going into Any and whatever party forms government is I think the NDP have taken um, I mean they've made some real drastic changes around Folding agencies boards and commissions into each other cutting executive salaries setting caps. I mean they've just recently uh, Taken on the uh, the post-secondary sector they've they they've totally Rejigged um Alberta the w- w- I think what what used to be called Alberta innovates um in terms of, of research and development and innovation uh, and they've changed the way that executives I, th- I believe executives get hired but but certainly how board members get appointed to these commissions they've kind of done away with the 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 Tory patronage system that existed for for forty four years and I'm sure the social credit system before that uh, and they've introduced what is is actually a fairly um, uh, kind of unbiased and uh, professional appointment services. Whereas, if you if you if you follow the orders in council that that the cabinet approves, you're actually seeing conservatives and regular people getting appointed to to board positions and in in public positions. And I think that's in terms of the the lasting effect that the NDP is going to have. Uh, if 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 they lose the 2019 election, uh, I think that's something that's going to that's going that that's going to have a, a real that's going to have had a real positive effect on, on yeah. just the way government works in, in Alberta. So
2: It's hard to wind that back too, right?
1: Like it is, it is. It's, it's, it'd be, it would be hard for Jason Kenney to say, okay, well, I'm going to do away with that system and just go point. back to
2: paying huge dollars for executive compensation. Yeah, to people who aren't qualified.
0: All right, our, our last question isn't a question, but it is from friend of the pod, uh, Christy. Thank you for ans- answering my last question. I was tickled. I'm sure I won't get picked on again, but if I did, I would ask... When one or both of you will acknowledge that the Alberta Party is more (laughs) than an internet party, what's the timeline on on that admission, fellas?
1: Well, according to my list, the Alberta Party has seven candidates nominated in 87 ridings as of as of right now.
2: So, although it's only two behind the NDP on your list,
1: yeah. So you know, I mean, there are seven actual real life candidates. Who've been nominated to run? So in that in that case, they're they're not the Internet Party. No, <laughs> no, we, we, we like to poke fun at at, at the Alberta Party. Um, but you know they they are uh, a real political party. They're registered with Elections Alberta. They do have uh, volunteers and candidates who are out there pounding the pavement and knocking on doors and and hoping to may have a positive impact and and uh, and improve. You know, improve life in Alberta and and uh, and elect MLAs in the next election. So while we do like to to poke fun at the Alberta Party, I I'll admit that uh, that you are more than an internet party. Yeah. Now now Ryan, are you are you ready well, to take that
2: step? Christy, it's ironic we almost made it through a whole episode without talking about the Alberta <laughs> wow, Party. Wow yeah, she's
0: doing a great job for her party. Yes she is yeah. right.
2: Yeah, Dave's right. I mean I like to make jokes about everybody, um, but the Alberta Party. Folks that I know personally are all doing it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, they want to make a difference. They care about this province. In fact, you could probably make the argument the fact that they're so committed to the Alberta Party proves that they're doing it for the right reasons because they're hardly in line for government patronage or whatever. So, you know, I know a couple of their candidates, and in my home CA, I know a few of their activists, and yeah, they are great people. And one of my rants in life, I have. Maybe like 10. One of them is against, I hate to say it, but the sort of critic class who's never actually gotten involved in politics but is highly critical of it because it's so easy from the cheap seats. You know, I was texting with the buddy today who's in the front lines and I'm giving all this advice from the cheap seats and then I realized, yeah, I should watch what I say. So give the Alberta Party activists credit. They are trying. They are out there. They're doing the work of politics. They're building voter support they're organizing um you are more than an internet party but i make no promises about the jokes moving forward boy we're gonna
1: we're gonna seem foolish when steve mandel becomes the next premier of alberta
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well absolutely but you could have said that about rachel notley too so And, and in alberta of all places for the last decade we know that anything can happen absolutely and that's it for this episode thanks so much for tuning in We'd like to thank our producer, Adam Rosenhart for helping us to put this episode together just like every other one. And a huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. We're a
1: member, and we stand with many other Alberta-made podcasts.
0: One of those podcasts is actually one that is co-hosted by one of my ATB colleagues, Tyler Butler. He does a show with Linda Huang called Don't Call Me a Guru. And if you're interested in trends in social media, not just within Edmonton, but all over the world. Linda and Tyler are all over this topic. Uh, you can subscribe to them anywhere you find great pod. Uh, they're a lot of fun to listen to. And if you want to, Hey, if you're a candidate thinking about, you know, leveling up their social media, you want to subscribe to don't call me a guru. There's a lot of great advice there.
1: It's, it's, it it is really a good podcast. I, I was on one of the, uh, one of the earlier episodes where we actually talked about politics and social media and candidates and cool. politicians using social media so if you can dig through their archives you can i'm sure you can find it it was it was a lot of fun to uh, to chat with those guys about social media and politics
2: so visit albertapodcastnetwork.com for don't call me a guru and all the other alberta podcast network shows
1: you can also send us your feedback or ask any questions you have for our next episode you can get us on twitter at at dave Berta or on the dave Berta facebook page or you can email us at podcast at dave Berta.